Hello and welcome to another episode of the Distance Diaries podcast. Thank you for listening. My name is Fraser and I'm from London. And my name is Natalia and I'm from Mexico City. Thank you so much for listening. Um, so, Fraser, what have you been up to this week? Yes, a couple of things. So, I've been out and about a little bit in London. I had some dinner at a restaurant on the South Bank earlier in the week when the weather was, was okay. It's been quite rainy this week in London. So, yeah, thankfully <laughs> that evening uh, it wasn't too bad. Uh, also played some football. That was nice. And also went back to visit my parents over in West London, which was good for a change of scene, mm. uh, which is really nice. Always nice to go to a different part of town uh, for a bit. How about you? I haven't been to a specific place in the city, which is a shame because I can't give a recommendation. I had some costume fittings for my short film, which is shooting in a week, which is crazy. And I hadn't talked about it on the podcast, even though it's all I talk about in my life. So. <laughs> yeah, it's a big, big thing for you in a week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I also, I went out for drinks with friends and then a birthday party, which was really nice. Well, I did, we didn't go out. We, we stayed in the house for drinks, which was nice. Um, you you left your house. I left my so house. It counts. <laughs> and I also, the probably the coolest thing I did is I went to a Jom Kippur dinner and I'm not Jewish, so I learned so much and it was it was a lot of fun and I ate a lot of food. So that was really nice as well. <laughs> nice. Nice. And what about, have you enjoying any music or TV in particular this week? Yeah, I started watching Maniac on Netflix, which is a show with Emma Stone and Jonah Hill. It's created by Kari Fukunaga, who did Beasts of No Nation. He writes some episodes for The Alienists. He has directed True Detective and is the executive producer of True Detective. He's directing the new Bond film, so he's very active. And I think I'm, cool. I'm a little bit obsessed with Maniac. It's such a nice aesthetic is sort of 80s technology you feel like you're watching an 80s sci-fi film but it's kind of set in the pre- you don't really know what year it is uh, it's very futuristic but kind of old-fashioned kind of dystopian okay. it has a lot of sort of alternate reality episodes that are happening in the minds of the main characters who are Emma Stone and Jonah Hill who I personally find very nice to watch so i've been i've been really really what kind of genre would you say it was none it doesn't have a genre (laughs) like you have an episode (laughs) where it's uh, i don't even know how to describe it you have an episode where it's a crime show and then you have an episode where they're in the middle ages or like in lord of the rings and it's kind of sci-fi i guess fantasy sci-fi i don't know i am really really enjoying it i watched five episodes of it last night (laughs) <laughs> so really enjoyed. yeah and it's kind of interesting sorry it's it's kind of interesting you mentioned the the actors the fact that they are big sort of hollywood film mm-hmm. actors but who are doing a tv series is kind of an interesting interesting thing to to know you've also got people like sally field on it it's just it's quite it's quite a big big name cast and a big name director so i also cool. read the nme five interview uh, which I enjoyed because it's, it's quite a long read and they all talked a little bit about everything. My favourite part was probably Matthew Healy talking about his rehab uh, before he started working on the new albums, which is, I love the albums, is about 
things that he came to realize during rehab and in this interview he talks about how he did like horse therapy I forgot the actual technical name um <laughs> and how it was really weird for him because he doesn't believe in energies and all of that type of stuff but I just want to read a quote on why it helped him to do a therapy with a horse um so I'm just gonna yeah. read it now I thought, this thing wants to be with me. He has the ability to destroy whatever he wants and the desire to hurt nothing. He's so strong, so independent, so graceful, so elegant, so generous with his time, so understanding of my fragility. And to me, that just sums up why I love animals so much. So I really like that bit of the of the interview, him talking about how he wanted to be like this horse because he was so noble. So I kind of, I like that. What about you? Yeah, so a few different things for me, not quite not quite as much as, as that. Yeah, so a couple of pieces of music that I've been listening to this week. Uh, an album that came out by Christine and the Queens entitled Chris. It, alternative French musician, if you're into, yeah, you're kind of alternative indie pop. What's impressive is the whole album, so it's, a, it's an 11-track album, but all the tracks are both written in English. There's 11 tracks in English, and then the same tracks, again, are rewritten in French. So that that's quite impressive from like a songwriting perspective to yeah. have, have written it once in your native language, but then have written it again in your second language. Anyway, I thought that's quite impressive. Yeah, that's good. Christine and the Queens. Um, and then also a track called When I'm With Him by Empress Of. That's a track I like as well. Another good alternative pop song. Um, but cool. yeah, apart from that, not too much new for me. Still watching some of the same TV. So we're recording on a Sunday today. It's the final episode of the show Bodyguard is out tonight. So I know a lot of people are looking forward to that. By the point you listen to this, if you've been watching it, you'll know what happens. Um, so, <laughs> Hope yeah, you enjoyed looking it. Looking forward to, to that one as well. So let's move on to our first topic. So we thought about this in the frame of what happened with Serena Williams at the US Open a couple of weeks ago, where she shouted an umpire, and how big the reaction was towards Serena compared to how big the reaction is when it happens with male players. So we wanted to talk about are women held to different standards than men in certain areas? Yeah, and I think the it was interesting watching the reaction to the the kind of the Serena Williams outburst and and watching people debating firstly whether male tennis players were treated differently and then mm. how that it should have been dealt with and how it was dealt with. Um, and I have to admit, well, I was I was trying to I was thinking about this earlier and trying to sort of figure out. I think obvi- it's obvious watching. Serena Williams shouting at the umpire that she shouldn't have done it because you shouldn't shout at officials like that. Anyone. Yeah, you should yeah, yeah you shouldn't shout at the the referees or the umpires in that way. But then I realized that people also in the modern day and me included kind of enjoy watching uh, a tennis player called Nick Kyrgios who's quite I think he's quite a young guy and he's very aggressive and he shouts a lot and he gets docked points and he does or he used to do all kinds of stupid things and I actually remember thinking oh this guy's like great to watch because he always loses it and and stuff like that so I guess there is a bit of a double standard there and that kind of got us thinking more broadly about about the topic I guess yeah I mean 
I hadn't even heard of this guy. Where Serena Williams is always said like, oh, she always loses her temper. And he's like, yeah, so do men all the time. Yeah. And it's barely talked about. So it shouldn't be done. But male tennis players who do the same thing should be treated just like almost just as badly as Serena was. Serena was treated ridiculously badly after it happened. But yeah, Serena Williams was treated really badly by the media and by the general public after it happened. And it, it is true that um, she shouldn't have done it. But then we should also talk about it like that with male tennis players. It's completely unfair that we don't, basically. So I don't think, in that sense, it's not just some double standards. It's, it's quite a lot of double standards in, in that sense. If you, if you enjoy watching someone who shouts, but then if it's Serena Williams, it's completely wrong. Anyway, in that, in that frame, we're going to talk about whether in different areas women are held to different standards than men. So in a study... Uh, at Yale University, it was found that when resumes were identical, except for the name, John or Jennifer, for example, uh, science faculty members were more likely to perceive John as competent and select him for a hypothetical lab manager position, wow, that's, for example. I mean, somehow it's not surprising, but it's still pretty shocking. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, how, I shocking. don't know how that that's that's a bit of a contradiction, but. Uh, it's seen yeah. as this sort of way of men are usually seen as more qualified than women. And another example is, well, in politics, there's so many examples, but one very specific example of why when men are seen as having more experience than women in, in every sense is the case of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So in case people don't know who she is, she's a Democrat who is very outspoken about her being a socialist. Very similar to Bernie Sanders, for example, who is also outspoken on being a socialist and they speak about a lot of the same issues in very similar ways. But somehow Alexandria is seen as this inexperienced little girl who doesn't know anything about politics, whereas Bernie Sanders is challenged in a very intellectual way. So, for example, there, there's a lot of articles that mention how Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was, oh, but she was a bartender six months ago, um, which is, is seen as a bad thing because she's obviously not experienced in politics. But with men in politics, those things like, oh, he was a bartender are seen as authentic. For example, former House Speaker John Boeckner used to work at his father's bar and that story was told with affection and admiration. Like, oh, he comes from he comes from nothing. Yeah. Whereas with a woman, it's seen as something bad because she hasn't always been in politics. Yeah. That's so yeah, that's one example, and I think that's an example of the kind of maybe the standards around uh, linked to the scientific study around credibility sometimes mm -hmm. seems to come into yeah, exactly. it in a way that it, it doesn't with men in some of these examples uh the other thing that that's that's potentially like the more obvious thing that i think of rather than the, the credibility thing is that female politicians as well as having sort of being judged on their ideas will also have have let's say commentary on things like their looks, the way they dress, how much they spend on mm. the way they dress, who they're trying to be with the way that they dress. You know, yeah, exactly. and, and all these... What are they saying with their clothes? Yeah, yeah, whereas I think 
it's just generally part of being a male politician is that that's mm. just way less likely to happen to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's happened. that happened to Clinton during her campaign. Um, it's happened to Theresa May. It's happened to Angela Merkel, where what they talk about is their legs and what they were wearing. Yeah, whereas I can only think of two examples that I've that I can think of of male politicians being criticised for the way that they dress. And it wasn't even criticism, it was kind of just commentary. So in one case, they... It was a joke, Yeah, exactly. In one case, they identified that David Cameron had very expensive swimming shorts. So they they, they, they spotted that. And then they one time criticised... Well, not even criticised, they just remarked that Gordon Brown, the former Prime Minister in, in the UK, was dressed very formally for his holiday. But apart from that, it, they they kind of get a sort of, it doesn't it just, happen it just doesn't it's not like a weekly commentary in the way that it yeah. seems to be for women politicians it's just another thing that they have to deal with which is yeah it's interesting and that's it is an example of standards being set i suppose for one and not the other yeah i don't know if there's a bit of a controversial opinion but i do think with trump and clinton during the campaign there was a lot of things for both of them that went wrong Clearly more for Clinton, but, uh, for example, Donald Trump kept bringing up Hillary Clinton's emails and that actually really affected her campaign, even though Trump was having lots of fraud scandals. And it it still seemed that people trusted Trump more, which was insane to me. And I'm not saying on Twitter. Obviously, on Twitter, everyone trusted Hillary Clinton because Twitter leans towards the left. But in general, people were trusting Trump more. And it seemed that a lot of it was because he was a man. Yeah, there's an element of it for sure. Yeah, and to sort of support that statement and not be seen as um, a crazy feminist. I do want to point out that Hillary Clinton is the first woman to be elected to run for president from a major party, so Republicans or Democrats. 11 women, only 11 women have tried in history to be elected, and Hillary Clinton is the first one in 2016. So clearly there's something there about women and men in, in, in the US and in, in the Western world. Yeah, because it happens in Mexico as well. The, the female candidate this year actually stepped down before voting even happened because she realized she was so far behind. Yeah. So it is, it is and people, people say all the time, oh, Mexico is not ready to have a female president because people don't trust women, which is, is so strange that we trust corrupt men so i think in politics this is very very clear yeah another sort of uh different social way in which men and women are judged differently it and i've i've definitely noticed this with people that that i've met and uh, it's obviously a wider phenomenon than than just sort of people i've met is that being single and childless over 35 makes uh the 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 guys that I've met, kind of eligible bachelors <laughs> rather than, um, I think it was described in an article I read as an old maid, <laughs> which is how women can be kind of seen if they're a bit older, and they don't have. Uh... Yeah, the idea of not having children for women is much worse than for men. If a man doesn't want to have children, it's all right. It's of okay. They want to focus on their career, but for a woman, it's like. Oh, she's not caring. Yeah, I think that's one thing, and and also just the way that they're see like they're seen partly from like an age perspective at that stage as well is is definitely different. Although I'm not sure if it's the most serious yeah. example that we've thought of, but it's definitely re- interesting. It is an age perspective, in the sense that 
I don't want to say that all men are seen as better if they don't have a family. It is true that sometimes if a man doesn't have a family, they're seen as less trustworthy because why are they alone? And it's the same for women in that sense. But men have more time to find a family, whereas yeah, women I think that's have... True. Get up yeah, until the 35 or so. Yeah. Um, another example we thought of is in the office, which is one of the ones that is mostly talked about. And Fraser walks in an office, so I asked him his opinion on this. But if a female important figure it shouts or raises her, her voice, she's seen as sort of hysterical crazy yeah seen as having like lost their temper exactly. completely whereas or, or they're definitely more likely to be seen that mm. way than a man who's sort of passionate and exactly. driven and obviously obviously might be out of order but it's seen as kind oh, of very part of their character yeah. yeah part of their character and personality rather than as like a major flaw probably just to, to, to and some that extent. is very deeply harmful in a lot of different ways because men is normal if a man loses their temper and that translates into family life. It's not, it's just, it's harmful in, in a lot of, of ways because it shouldn't be normal for men or women. So. Yeah, well, it shouldn't be, it definitely shouldn't be purely excused mm-hmm. by in one case, but then not in the other. Yeah, yeah. And one thing that is quite close to me that I want to talk about is about directors in film as well. Yeah, I definitely think the the examples you're going to give in entertainment are definitely some of the kind of more obvious. Yeah, and every, everyone knows about them. Ones. So it's yeah. So women directors are so rare that they are hurt much more in their career if one of their films wasn't very good or didn't do well. Uh, the example I thought about was Sam Taylor Johnson. I'm going to say uh, she's changed her name. Sam Taylor Wood is her artistic name. Uh, who directed Fifty Shades of Grey. She she also directed Across the Universe. And after Fifty Shades of Grey, even though it was a hugely successful film, she has sort of been shunned from directing a lot of films that were given to men, men who have also directed very bad films. But because they're men, it's fine, they direct more. So it it doesn't hurt their career as much. Whereas for women, you have to be very careful that your film's going to do well otherwise it hurts you a lot more. Yeah, you're saying they're given less of a chance. Yeah, exactly. And there's all these stories about women going to production companies and the production company saying, oh, no, sorry, we already have one female director. It's like, okay. (laughs) Um, I think in Hollywood, and I think it is an effect of the Me Too movement in a way, it is more and more common for there to be female directors now. It's becoming more common, which is really, really cool but it's also we still hold them to different standards because we expect female films to be so much better than they even have to be men men direct really bad films all the time (laughs) 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 so so yeah and the other entertainment example that i thought about was the 2013 robin thick miley cyrus vma performance where miley cyrus twerked at robin thick in uh, in not a lot of clothes and Robin Thicke was like touching her bum and doing all this sort of inappropriate stage things and Miley Cyrus was completely slammed by media and by the general public calling her a slut um can't believe she did that she's crazy like she's lost her marbles people were talking about how 
she had completely lost yeah. it now. She was at Britney Spears stage, lost it. And Miley Cyrus went on Ellen DeGeneres. And Ellen was like, wait, Robin Thicke was on stage as well. And Miley Cyrus' response was, yeah, no one talks about that. No yeah. one cares about the man behind the booty. You only care about the one that's shaking it. And regardless of where their careers are now, when that happened, Miley Cyrus was the one that took the, the heat. Yes. Um, which is just a show of sort of this idea of, oh, if women sleep with a lot of men, there's lots. And if men sleep with a lot of women, they're, um, they're seen as like this really great male figure. Yeah. Um, which is an age-old argument. <laughs> yeah. And also, so I feel like I've talked a lot on this <laughs> about this topic, but I'm quite passionate about it. I do want to point out that men are obviously also affected by double standards. And is is the main thing is that they need to avoid acting as an stere- as a stereotypical female, uh, like don't cry, don't complain, uh, because you'll be seen as less of a man. And really, are crying and complaining exclusively female things? Like it's kind of it's it's weird, but men are also affected by these standards, and that's yeah, that's very that, important to point that's out. That's true. That's true. It's just um, different ways, I suppose. Yeah, and. Also to say that things do seem to be moving towards more equality yeah. in, in in these ways. It's just, it's hard because it's so deeply rooted in us. Even even we realise sometimes, oh yeah, I watched this tennis match and didn't even realise that this guy was shouting. But with Serena, it was such a big deal to me. So even realising those things, super important to change them. Yeah, definitely. We're all deep rooted in that society. So Yeah, yeah. for sure. So for this week's second topic, we thought we would talk a little bit about something that um, I suppose has been on been on our minds for a little bit, and we we think about, and it certainly affects how I have have started to see different situations in the world, which is the concept of introversion and extroversion. So mm. for me, this was really inspired by the fact that until sort of I think probably around this time last year. I didn't really think about, I didn't really know what an introvert or an extrovert was. And I didn't really think about, as a result, what I was or who I was. And I think I just sort of assumed that introverts were just, you know, people who like to stay indoors and extroverts were sort of everyone else. Um, I don't really know. It just never really crossed my mind. But basically, I, I found out through sort of investigating and talking to people and, and doing a bit of reading on the subject that I am um, on, on the introvert side, I should say, without being sort of a total introvert, but I definitely fall on, on that side of the spectrum. Mm. Um, and I think it was kind of an interesting, not revelation, but interesting thing to think about in terms of how I see who I am, what my strengths are. And yeah, how would you define introvert and extrovert? Just so that yeah i think it's kind of hard because there's not one definition but the way that i understand it best is introverts recharge their energy by being by themselves be it reading be it watching a show be it just meditating and sitting they're recharged by being alone extroverts recharge by going out for drinks with friends by hang by lunching with their friends by being with people so introverts normally after going out with their friends which they do they have to recharge after yeah that's probably that's that's a really good way of describing it i think yeah 
and and what what sort of crystallized all of these these ideas and these thoughts that I'd had was reading a book which I would definitely recommend. Mm. Uh, that book was by Susan Cain, and it's called Calm: The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. Um, and I actually listened to the audio book. The audio book is really good. It's really well narrated, um, and it really captures the the spirit of the book. But yeah, would would recommend that book to anyone who's interested in in the concept as a whole, and well, a learning a bit more about themselves, but and and as a result, understanding really your your strengths. And so, what's great about the the book is it looks at both the the sort of scientific reasons for introversion and what they are but then also how that manifests itself in today so effectively scientifically introverts are more heavily stimulated by the environment in which they find themselves in and they notice and react more to changes so if there's a change in light change in sound change in people it affects introverts more through their senses effectively and their sort of their senses are triggered by all these changes as a result they're very good at spotting these changes mm. and have a higher attention to detail but they can feel more pressured and more tired out by all of these different changes that are happening yeah. from being in certain situations and so that has a lot of implications for your social life where you like to work where you're going to be effective in doing work or how you're going to behave in in different situations and and there's quite a lot of other sort of points made in the book but when i realized this it sort of reassured me that there were sort of advantages to being an introvert and advantages to being an extrovert and that that's that's okay and that using the strengths that you have specifically the book is about using the strengths you have as an introvert mm. is definitely what you need to do and you need to see it as as that strength and it's told effectively some of the, much of the book from a, an autobiographical perspective of Susan Cain uh, who is herself an introvert. I think that's interesting because introverts are sort of seen as the outcasts of society and that's not necessarily true there's a lot of people that like Fraser would realize that they're introverts later on in life because I remember asking you maybe like maybe eight months that's very specific but like maybe a year <laughs> before you realized that you were an introvert I asked you do you think you're an introvert or an extrovert because I've always thought of myself as an introvert and Fraser actually said an extrovert I don't know if you remember that yeah yeah, yeah you vaguely. said an extrovert and I kind of thought like I don't think Fraser's an extrovert because I have I had thought about it before anyway it didn't come up again until he read this book and he talked to someone and he was like wait I think I'm an introvert. And I was like, yeah, but that's okay. Because we all have attitudes that go to both personality types. Yes. And there's no like one rule book. For example, normally introverts are seen as preferring one-to-one -one conversations more than group conversations because it's more draining to have group conversations. But the way that I see my introverted self, I have always preferred group conversations because they mean that I don't have to have input. I can just be quiet. <laughs> So, so sort of, there's not a one fits all. Yeah. It's just yeah. how you feel. How do you feel after hanging out with people? Do you feel like you need a day to yourself? I do sometimes, for example. Yeah. And I think what what's interesting is that once you understand this, the book then moves on to the book Calm, moves on to talking about how a lot of the daily interactions we have in society are in in her opinion and with some some uh, evidence structured more to favor 
extroverts, especially in the modern Western world. It's, she uh, acknowledges that there's a huge difference in, in different parts of the world yeah. and also in the past. So she observes that previously society was built around people with good character, so good values, but that now the way that people are encouraged in, through self-help and, and uh, advice that people are given is, is more defined by personality. Mm. Um, and I think those are actually two very different things in terms of how they manifest themselves. Personality is almost how you outwardly behave towards other people, whereas character is more of a deeper trait, which are actually more compatible mm. with, with introverts than, than personality, which is less easy for introverts to, to work with, which I thought was a pretty um, important observation and at at the sort of really practical level what this means is that the way that uh, we learn at university or the way that we work in offices has become incredibly focused on things like collaboration open offices even things like brainstorming and where you have to like make your opinion heard and introverts tend to not want to do that exactly where what is valued in in a lot of these environments is outward personality and leadership in an outward sense rather than what introverts would provide which is thought leadership control Mm. um you know critical evaluation effectively yeah that's what they'd be more inclined to 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 contribute to those kinds of environments and um yeah and it's it's a really interesting book and it's hard if you're an introvert almost to to read the book and not get a bit of a chip on your shoulder because you feel like you're <laughs> you're almost being a little bit wronged by uh, the way that society works yeah and I, but to be fair I was talking about this with my friend like two days ago really and he was saying how he's more on the spectrum of in, introversion um and he is a film director and that I, I I am attempting to be a film director, and he he we were talking about film directors, and I thought wait maybe maybe film directors are actually mostly introverts, and and he thought yeah I think there's something there. So it doesn't mean that you can't be a leader. It just means you need to know how to use your skills. And I think as I've grown up, I've had to learn how to develop a lot of skills, because when I was when I was a kid. One of the things I remember most is every six months, my parents had to come to school and talk to my teachers. Yeah. And every six months, the the general thoughts on me would be, she's doing really well, she writes really well, but she never speaks. She needs to learn how to speak. Yeah. More, uh, how to participate in class. And that always really hit me because I could never fix it. For maybe six years, that's yeah. all teachers said about me so I had to develop skills to be more sure of my opinions and raise my hand once in a while so I think it's it's you do have to learn a lot of skills if you're yeah. to work in this world but that's a good thing you, yeah. you grow a lot I think that's that's really interesting because there's definitely two sides to it so on the one side it's definitely a good thing for introverts to try to go a little bit beyond their comfort zone mm-hmm. because it will achieve really good results so you know, if it's like speaking up more in a learning environment or in a work environment, it'll definitely help. However, the other way to think about it is actually to almost reframe it. 
So I was reading, I can't remember where I read this, but I think it was actually, I think it was on Susan Cain's official web, <laughs> website. So I'm okay to quote it. Um, rather than saying she needs to speak up more, we could say, looking back at the work, we could say her thoughtful ideas help take this program to the next level. Or rather than he's too quiet to take charge, it could be his patience and deep focus gave us the edge we needed to make the best choices. Mm. Which I think is, is a nice way of thinking about the sort of the way yeah the way that you perceive sort of a certain weakness or trait it it is just that it's just perception um and and there's so there's a lot that I think both introverts and extroverts can sort of learn from each other in terms of yeah taking a step back and trying to think about why people behave the way they do in in different situations yeah I think that's a nice note to end on yes yeah So that was episode 18. We hope you really enjoyed it. And any topic suggestions, any anything else you want to tell us about the topics that we talked about today, because we're another two topics that really hit home with a lot of people. So if if you want to talk to us about it, we can we can read out your opinions on the next episode, whatever you want. So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at underscore Natalia Alvin. And I am at Fraser D. Bell on both of those platforms. And we also have an email, the distance Iris podcast at gmail.com. So we look forward to hearing from you. Great. Well, once again, thank you so much for listening and we will speak to you next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. This podcast is hosted by Mexi Clothing, a brand that brings you modern Mexican fashion into the UK and Europe. For more, you can visit www.mexi.clothing. Thank you for listening.